you suck at something and want to get better at it, the best way to do that is to put yourself in an environment that forces you to do that something over and over again. You're listening to the Small Business Talk podcast with Kathy Smith. Small Business Talk is a podcast for business owners and entrepreneurs who want a better way to run their businesses without spending years doing it the hard way. Small Business Talk is hosted by Kathy Smith, who has run the same marketing agency for more than 17 years and helped hundreds of business owners achieve their marketing goals. Welcome to Small Business Talk, episode 212. Today, my special guest is Lloyd Lobo, and Lloyd is from Grassroots to Greatness. So welcome, Lloyd. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited for the conversation. Excellent. And our topic today is going to be the top top five rules on how to build an iconic brand through community-led growth. Now, I'm sure that in these last few years, we've all got more and more connected with community, so it's going to be a great episode. So tell us a little bit about yourself and why you're here, Lloyd. Definitely. So... I'm an immigrant entrepreneur from the U.S., and uh, I, I was born in Kuwait, refugee of the Gulf War, made my way to Canada a few years after the Gulf War with my family, finished engineering. After I finished engineering, I didn't want to <laughs> want to go and do a 95 job, so I started asking people, what's the best skill I can learn if I want to be in business someday? And I repeatedly heard communication is the best skill like as an engineer, your communication isn't the best. So you should learn how to improve that. And I thought to myself, hey, I'm not a self-motivated individual. I think 99% of the people are not self-motivated. Self-motivation is not showing up when the conditions are perfect, but it's showing up when you're repeatedly punched in the face. And I thought to myself, I hated going in front of people and, and talking. So if I went on stage and and you know took speech classes or uh, like uh, public speaking classes and somebody laughed, I would just be deterred and never do that. So I said, hey, what's the best job I could learn that would force me to communicate day in, day out? And it was sales. So I started applying to jobs in sales and nobody would give me that job, but luck would have it. A startup founder needed a cold caller and I got my first job in cold calling. Now, the first call I made, I think I practiced four hours. And as soon as the decision maker hopped on the phone on the other side, I hang up and everyone around me started laughing. But, you know, systems, I feel, eat self-motivation for breakfast. And I had to keep that job. I had to make the money. So I kept showing up and showing up and showing up. And and the key learning for me there was if you suck at something and want to get better at it, the best way to do that is to put yourself in an environment that forces you to do that something over and over again. And so my journey then went from cold calling, then the next job was being in sales. Again, my girlfriend then, now wife, got into medical school in New Jersey. I got a visa, free trade visa, and ended up at a job in New Jersey. Now I applied to larger companies. Nobody would hire me because, again, my first job was at a startup. So I got a job doing sales at another small company, working directly alongside the founder and the leadership team. And then from there, the next job was running sales and marketing for another company alongside the founder. And when I'd hit a ceiling, my best friend from university called me and said, hey, we should do a company together. And I jumped at the opportunity. And so my company, Boast, we automate tax credits and government funding for technology companies. 
And he was doing that service very manually at a big four accounting firm. And we set out to automate it and uh, leverage the power of the community to build that company to tens of millions in revenue. A couple of years ago, sold 50% of it to a growth equity firm and a transition to the board. And so that's a quick snapshot of my journey as a accidental immigrant entrepreneur. But the key learning here is, you know, I wanted to point out for your listeners is there, there are four key things I find that are super beneficial for anyone looking to make it in entrepreneurship or acting or no matter what it is, right? Number one is your companions, your community matter the most. Now see this, right? If I hadn't only worked for founders or early amongst them, alongside them, I wouldn't have become an entrepreneur myself, right? You become the average of the five people you surround yourself with. The next thing is communication is key. Everything from convincing your spouse that you're not going to bring money to convincing early employees to work on low pay to customers that, hey, I barely have a product, but please believe in my vision and buy this is all communication. The third thing is your ability to create, whether it's content or what you're doing with the podcast, Kathy, it's all creation. And then the last one, without this fourth C, you have nothing, right? You may be the best communicator, have the best community, and you may be the best creator. But if you don't do this fourth thing, uh, you'll never succeed. And that is consistency. Consistency on small actions lead to big outcomes over time. From Mr. Beast to Warren Buffett, the most successful people have one thing in common is they never stop. They always show up. Absolutely. And consistency is the thing that you see done badly most often, particularly in social media. You'll see people absolutely pushing it for weeks and weeks and then suddenly nothing. And yes, consistency is definitely the key. So we've talked a little bit about community there. So what do you think the top five things about building an iconic brand through a community to get growth would be? Definitely. I want to give a quick reason on why I actually wrote this book, yeah, uh, if that's okay. So you know what's funny is all my life, I was piss poor. I had I had no money, okay? My parents grew up in the slums of Mumbai, and because I was born in Kuwait and they couldn't afford to take us anywhere on vacation, my childhood summers were spent in the slums of Mumbai, where watching TV and even going to the restroom was communal because every several homes had a TV and there was no pub, there was no restroom or bathroom in the house. And in the summers, the puddles would turn into ponds and we'd be swimming in it. Then the Gulf War happened, right? And it was all about community. Now that as that kid in the slums of Mumbai during my summer vacations, whenever we had to go back to Kuwait, I just wouldn't leave. I'd cry. Then the Kuwait Gulf War happened and I experienced a great marvel, the power of community in evacuating people to safety. Like a small group of people united by a greater purpose can change the direction of the world. And I think that experience with the Gulf War helped me understand the power of people, but it also gave me this entrepreneurial spirit. I mean, we talk about entrepreneurship as making money, but entrepreneurship to me is all about taking an obscure idea to execution and impact while dealing with extreme risk and uncertainty and no bigger risk and uncertainty than the war. And then as I started working at startups, I built my company and my life in the last 15 years around community. It was a completely community-led company, both built to over 20 million in revenue by leveraging the power of community. And uh, until 10 million, Kathy, we had no marketing team. We were 30 people. 
right? And so that was a huge success. And when we sold half the company, actually the the buyer came to a community event we had hosted. That was <laughs> that's how how amazing that that experience is. And and for me now looking back, the learning is if you want to be the cool kid, you got to be the kid that hosts the cool parties. Bring people together and connect them together and good things will happen right we we talk about your network is your net worth and i i i don't like the word network because it's very transactional so i'll say your community is your currency but here's what happened kathy after i sold half the company i left the day to day of the business transitioned to the board and you know like i said all my life i was poor and i was happy but for the first time i became a multimillionaire but i ended up depressed i became overweight i became an insufferable drunk and i couldn't figure out why i had to see therapists i just went on the soul searching journey traveling everywhere and finally i came back to good health and sanity again through a community a fitness community good friends around me and i started to realize right it's neither the destination nor the journey but the companions that matter the most loneliness is the number one killer in america and you know all the money in the world doesn't matter if you don't have the people to spend it with and i felt like as somebody who built his journey around community i felt this void when i left the day to day of the company i lost my identity i lost my my community and when i came back to good health and sanity because of the community i said i need to write about this i need to genuinely educate the world about the power of community and so through my research i found a few things one this loneliness is the number one killer in america uh two there's this concept of blue zones have you heard about blue zones Kathy yes i certainly have but do tell our audience in case they haven't yeah so blue zones are the five places around the world where people live functionally functionally is key to 100 and functionally uh longevity without functionality is useless so these people no. live functionally to 100 right and uh, four or five out of their nine traits have to do with human to human connection social communal activity and then kathy i started looking i was super intrigued so i started researching and you know we have this massive community over 100000 subscribers so i started rewatching all our community content 400 pieces of videos and i started talking to community members calling them messaging them and having these conversations and researching some of the most iconic brands and these are not brands that started in the last 20 years i'm talking about brands that started in the 60s 70s 80s that had endured the test of time and i found something very interesting every obscure idea that eventually went on to become an enduring global phenomena from christ to crossfit every obscure idea that became an enduring global phenomena went through the exact same four stages and uh stage 1 is people listen to you or buy your product or service you have an audience when that audience comes together to interact with one another it becomes a community now this is the springboard to being a cult like brand or like a religion is when that community comes together to create an impact towards a greater purpose far greater than your product or your profit it becomes a movement and now when that movement has undying faith in its purpose through sustained rituals over time it becomes a cult or a religion so audience community movement religion 
was the path. And I'll unpack it for the audience here in a few steps on at least how you can get started. Now, boast my company, we didn't build a movement or a religion, but you know, we're 10 years into the company. We definitely build a community and it has been massively successful for us. But there are others like a Harley Davidson or a Nike or a CrossFit that have built cult-like brands, religion-like brands over time. Yes, they certainly have. And those ones that you mentioned are definitely iconic. And one thing that is um, very clear with all of those is they're polarizing. You either love them or you hate them. And that really targets down to where their audience is. There's no wishy-washy. There's no, oh, you're, you're half in or you're half out, particularly with something like CrossFit or Harley. You are either a Harley rider or you are not. You are either into CrossFit or you are not. There is no halfways. So having that definite target, that specific audience, really is where they've nailed it there. Exactly. Exactly. I, I like you said this. So let's like you know let's get started on that. So a lot of people come to me and say, "Hey, I want to build a community." One what platform should I be on? Should I get a Slack group? Should I get a Facebook group? Should I get a LinkedIn group? And two, they ask me, when can I start making some money from this? When will it turn into business for me? And I say that is ridiculous because starting with the platform is like saying, I'm going to build a church, but I don't know if I'm a Muslim or I'm a Christian or I'm a Hindu, basically you want to just start with the, uh, you know, so further downstream or saying, I want to build a house, but I really don't know which country I'm going to live in. Or asking to monetize is like saying, you know what, I'm going to meet somebody at the bar. And before I even have a conversation, I'm going to bend on my knee and, uh, and present a ring and ask them to marry me. It doesn't work that way, right? It's it's always visibility, credibility, and then profitability. And so where do you start, right? So I'll walk through our example because I think if I share the example of Harley or Apple or some of these, it'll be so out there in terms of these brands are now multi-multi-billions that it might not be immediately, you know, it might serve as a platitude to your audience. So let's talk about our journey because we started at zero and now the company is over 20 million in revenue worth a lot. Um, right, fintech company. But when we started, Kathy, you know, when you reflect back and you've found success, it's always a framework. But when you're in the thick of things, it feels like I'm throwing spaghetti on the wall and it's like, let's make this work, please. Something should work. So when we started, right, what we were doing is collecting people's data and getting them money from the government. Now, the big four accounting firms were offering this R&D tax credit service very manually. And we said, we'll take your technical and financial data and we'll apply AI to it and we'll automatically apply for it. So you get more money faster for less time and risk. Nonetheless, when we started the company, we had no product, we had no customers, and it was me and my co-founder out of his spare bedroom on a futon in his apartment, small apartment. So we said, hey, what's the first step here? Let's start reaching out to customers. And so we started calling like the stable companies of the time. This is 10 years ago oil and gas, manufacturing, construction, the big stable companies. Nobody would talk to us on the phone because think about what we're saying. Give us your R&D and innovation data and we'll give you money, no interest, no equity. It's the best form of capital. It sounds like a scam. And even if it didn't, the people are like, I can just work with a big accounting firm. Why do I trust you guys? So dejected, then we start going to these people's events. 
oil and gas construction, manufacturing, and we can't relate. We look like two young guys who threw on a hoodie or a suit jacket on top of a hoodie, and they felt like the old cigars club. We couldn't relate. And so we started dejected, you know, hitting up all the startup events, small business startup events. And interestingly, we felt like we found our tribe. Instant friendships, we, they were starting out, we were starting out, built strong bonds. Very quickly, we started having lunches and dinners with them, partying with them, hanging, hanging out with them, doing other like nonprofit projects with them, participating in hackathons with them. They became our tribe. Now, I'm going to pause here and explain the one framework that comes out of that. Say you're just starting out, either building a community or building a business. How do you figure out who your ideal customer profile is? Because you said this correctly, right? These, these brands like a Harley or a CrossFit, they're polarizing. They're not wishy-washy about who they target. They're very, very, very specific. And that is really important, especially in the early days. And especially if you don't have the liberty of having tens of millions of dollars to spend on, on this, right? So it's like you're starting out, be very deliberate about your ideal customer profile. But how do you pick who you're going to target even, right? Your day one. The first step is pick a market that you have a passion for, that you love to create for. Building a company, as you know, it is a marathon of the heart and mind. It's a long slog. If you hate your customers, you're not going to be sustainably able to create for the long haul. You'll, you'll eventually burn out. So make sure you love this market or love this customer base. You can hang out with them. A lot of what you do as a company scales is spending time with customers. So make sure you love this audience. Make sure even if it's a small niche, it's growing because eventually it'll turn into something big. So you research and find trends that could lead to this market eventually growing, not just some small obscure market. The third thing is there a propensity to pay. If they don't pay you, you, have, you don't have a business. And no. the fourth thing is ease of access. Ease of access is key because you may love this market, but that's what differentiates you from being a starving musician <laughs> and maybe Iron Maiden or something, right? You have to have ease of access no matter what it is, right? Well, no matter what you, how much you love this, how much you have the passion for, if there's no propensity to pay and there's no ease of access, you can't do it. So passion for the market or the audience, growing niche, ease of access, propensity to pay. And number two tied to that, like you said, is understanding this market really well, figuring out where they eat, breathe, drink, sleep. What are their problems and goals? But problems and goals I find are very short-lived. If you want to build a generational business, also understand the aspirations of your market, which is more long-term. What are their aspirations? What do they want to be three, five, 10 years down the road? And then what stands in their way? Now, once you've nailed your ideal customer profile down, you understand where they eat, breathe, drink, sleep, what are their titles, what are their immediate problems, their goals, their long-term aspirations, what stands in their way, write down their three Fs. Number one is, who do they follow? This will give you a list of influencers you can invite as speakers to your events on your podcast, et cetera. Like the, the key influencers that they, they respect and they follow. The second one is, who do they fund? Meaning what services and tools they pay for? This will give you a list of potential partners, people you can co-host events with, people you can invite as sponsors. And the last one is, where do they frequent? Meaning events, magazines, blogs they read, 
platforms they're prevalent on because that's where you can distribute your content. You can like, let's say if they read TechCrunch, for example, you can invite journalists from TechCrunch to speak at your event or interview other people. So that kind of thing. Yes, and I think that's really important is making sure that you are looking to see what they want to do in the future and also where they're hanging out because it's no point getting a whole stack of sponsors where there's no connection. You might get their money, but you're not going to be able to fulfill the sponsorship very well, so therefore they're not going to come back. And it's not going to be of interest to your audience. And the thing that a lot of people get mucked up with is they don't go with those things like liking the audience and having that ability to pay because we all want to have thriving businesses, not expensive hobbies. Exactly. I love how you said that. We all want to have thriving businesses, not expensive hobbies. But the thing is, if you have an expensive hobby and it is for an audience you don't love, you'll burn out. You will never build something sustainable because how long, like, you know, ultimately entrepreneurship is like a long game, right? How long have you been doing it, Kathy? 22 years. Exactly. If you hated what you did, you think you'd be able to sustain? No way. (laughs) So, So going back to that, now you understand the ideal customers, their aspirations, their goals, their problems, what stands in the way. You have their circle of influence. The circle of influence is key, right? So I think like the your ICP, your ideal customer is like the center of it and the circle of influence is the circles or the the planets revolving around it, right? Around the sun kind of thing. And now then you start working on a on the type of community you want to build. So there's three types of communities you can build. One is a community of practice, meaning you bring people together to learn about a specific skill or a craft to become better versions about themselves, of themselves. The second is a community of product. This is you bring people together to learn about a product, to get better at a product, to become evangelists of the product. And this might be the Atlassian community or the Microsoft community, things like that. They're making the product better. They're learning about it. And the third one is a community of play. This is bringing people together to have a good time, to have fun. This might be the Harley Davidson club where they come together on the weekends riding bikes or the Nike running club, things like that. You play tennis, those kinds of clubs, those kinds of communities. Now, for entrepreneurs, if you don't have a product, you don't have any customers, or you have a product that's not, I would say, product market fit, meaning people are not loving it and using it over and over again, or it's not a sort of repeat use product nonetheless. If you start building a community of product, people will just think you're inviting them to a timeshare presentation. They're not going to think you're adding value to them. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the difference, isn't it? It's always about adding value to your audience. And if you're not adding value to your audience, then why would they come? Exactly. They'll feel like they're being sold to. So we knew this really well. We at least understood it that, you know, we don't want to go to events where we're sold to. And so what happened was as a function of targeting this small niche, which was startups in 2012, which is not a small niche today by any means, it blew up. But we found two white spaces. Number one, all the events happening at the time in person, they were high level CEO platitudes talking about aspirational, inspirational things like CEOs of companies at 50, 100 million. Now, if a founder or an entrepreneur or a business person has give up their job to embark on this journey, there's only so much inspiration they need. They need tactics, not inspiration. So we found white space number one. And that only happens a lot of the times you'll find white spaces when you're targeting smaller niches, but you got to make sure that this niche is going to explode into something big. I always say niche down is better because it's better to be an inch wide and a mile deep than go so big that 
now you're trying to please multiple people and you end up pleasing nobody. So can you niche down, right? Like if you're um, eight-figure entrepreneur that is in the services industry, then maybe target five-figure entrepreneurs in the services industry, right? Like niche down as much as you can because it'll be easier for you to connect. Otherwise, your message starts getting diluted, like you said, exactly. So one was the events were high-level CEO platitudes, not tactical. And the other second thing was nobody would support startups in 2012. The media wasn't covering them as much in the city we were in, in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. And uh, service providers wouldn't. And so we'd service providers would actually make fun of us saying, hey, you guys are going to go bankrupt serving these startups because you know many of them don't survive. And what we told them was, hey, you don't support them and your customers don't want to work with new companies like us. So we're left to serve our own. We had the bet that startups are the innovators and innovation always wins. So if you follow the innovation, this market is going to explode as small but growing niche. Now it's like, Step one, like I said, audience, community, movement, religion. How do you create an audience through content, right? You can either be a curator, meaning summarize content from experts in your niche. Those experts are usually the influencers, your audience, ideal customers follow, or be the expert for your niche or do a mix. The thing is we weren't experts at all, right? We had not been successful in other startup endeavors. We were only startup employees. So we couldn't speak to how to build a successful company and give you the tactics. So we started curating and we made a list of all the people that were influencers. And rather than inviting some CEO of a $50 million company to speak at our events, we started inviting the CEOs of five, 10 million in revenue. So somebody if it's zero or one, they're relatable because they can, they can, the, these founder CEOs can talk about how I got my first 10 customers, how I launched my first product, how I built my first marketing plan, how did I manage my finances in the early days for, on a low budget. And so we we had this co-working space with a free meetup room, and we started inviting people and saying, hey, you know, Kathy is going to talk about how to get your business off the ground in the first 90 days. There's going to be free pizza. I mean, pizza was $9.99 at the time. And, uh, and some great conversations, small group. The first one, 10 people showed up. Second one, 20 people, 15 people. That kept going. In parallel, I reached out to the local newspaper, which was a part of the national media, the largest newspaper conglomerate. And I said, hey, can you give me a print call? Can you give me a column to cover startups? Nobody covers startups in this uh, region. And they're like, ah, it's not of interest. So rather than being deterred, I reached out to a, another third-party blog, regional blog, and I asked the same thing. Can you give me a blog to cover startups? And they're like, yeah, give us content. Now, again, I couldn't talk about my experience building a startup, so I covered two or three other founders. And I shared it uh, with them once it went live. And these founders who've never gotten any media love, they went crazy sharing it. It got hundreds of retweets. Now, I took that article. And I went back to the editor of the newspaper and I said, hey, you see what happened here? It's got hundreds of retweets. And you you as a newspaper are losing the younger demographic. And by covering startups, I can bring back this younger demographic to read the newspaper, to engage with the newspaper. And this editor said, fine, I'll give you a blog post, not even a sustained blog, uh, like a blog post. Now, another key learning here is unless you're doing something illegal as an entrepreneur, always beg for forgiveness. Don't ask for permission. I knew that I, you know, I didn't have the experience to talk about the startup life and the journey 
So I knew I was going to cover some founder or the other. Now, what could I write that would make them give me a long-term blog, like sustainably cover every week? So I called that first blog post startup of the week and I covered an entrepreneur who had just raised 3 million in funding and they couldn't get any press. Now, when that went on the blog, obviously, you know, startup of the week looks like the newspaper has created a weekly award ceremony. These founders saw me as a messiah. They went nuts sharing that blog post. It went more viral than ever. I started getting calls from the editor. I'm like, oh, he's going to be upset why I called it startup of the week because now I'm basically angling that this is going to be a weekly thing. But actually, he was happy. He said, wow, this got a lot of traffic. If you promise to write it every week, I will give you a print column. And so now... That column went from a blog post to a print column that I wrote consistently for three years. And when I stopped, that column stopped. But I wrote day in, like, you know, week in, week out, that column. Now, that column did a few things. One, it helped me build the audience, right? So people were reading that post. They were sharing it. Two, it gave me instant credibility because now I'm a print columnist. It's tied to my company brand. So people who saw us as two guys now got instant credibility from the newspapers being print columnists. Even in 2023, so many blogs, having a print column is hugely credible. The third thing is it gave me a link from the highest domain authority website in the country, the newspaper website, to my website. So my website was new. And so we started getting the SEO link juice from backlinks to our website. And the fourth thing these entrepreneurs are now waking up at 7 a.m. every Monday to buy copies from the local newsstand, take pictures, and share it. And then the fifth thing was, I threw a form in there saying, if you're interested in being featured, apply. So our database started growing, right? That's what you want is, you know, even in 2023, we share so much content on LinkedIn, on podcasts and everything. We have an audience, but do we know for the most, do we own that audience? If we don't have their emails and their contact information, we don't, right? No, we but, don't. So- and that's where people go wrong is that they build these great communities on social platforms and then the social platforms' algorithms change and suddenly you no longer have access. So you hit on a really good point there is getting them off that social platform into your community where you can then engage with them through email, SMS, text, and actual in-person events as well. So that's really important. So you did the the basic things of marketing there. You gave them something they were interested in. You got somebody else to pay for it. And you got the, the link juice from the SEO. So that's absolutely amazing because not many people think of that. And then you created something out of nothing for them. So not only for the newspaper that brought the younger readers back in, but the startup community as well. So you gave them a an opportunity to be featured and showcased and put up on that pedestal. Definitely. And so, you know, again, when we were doing it, it was all spaghetti on the wall. But, you know, as it stuck, we realized these are the frameworks, like understand your customers, understand their circle of influence, figure out the kind of community you want to build. If you don't have a product that's loved and a lot of customers that that love and use your product day in, day out, you're starting out, build a community of practice where you're adding value to people to improve their lives. And then create content on an online platform. So you build that audience, but make sure you collect their information and bring them together in person 
So now you're boomeranging between audience and community. And so as our database started filling with companies who started applying, we started hosting these in-person meetups, inviting those people. Hey, come join us for pizza at the co-working space. Kathy's going to speak about how to get your business off the ground. Or like Lloyd's going to talk about how to get your first five customers. Or, you know, uh, Mary is going to speak about how to get your first angel investor. And the thing, the key thing here, Kathy, is we never stopped. We, you know, although 10 people showed up to the first meetup, we never stopped. We would do this week in, week out. We'd go to events, we'd host our own events. And every week we'd write the startup of the week column. Now, one day what happened was 200 people showed up at the co-working space and we had like these, this registration list piled up. Makeshift, we went and got a projector from the local audio store for like 50 bucks. We threw it up in the middle of all the aisles. We hijacked the aisles. And the guys who own the co-working space or ran the co-working space said, you can't do this. You basically now turn the co-working space into a makeshift conference revenue to save costs, but you can't do this anymore. Like, And that eventually evolved into a conference and now podcasts and a big community. And over time, now we've had the CEOs of Atlassian, of Twilio, of Zoho, of even Uber come to our events. But that was the impetus, right? Starting small, small 10-person events. I kid you not, we must have had 10 people at our events for months. The startup of the week column, week in, week out, and just we never, ever, ever stopped. That consistency gave us massive compound interest. And that's what I say. Compound interest on consistency over time is what we call overnight success. And so once you understand your audience, you know, make sure you understand, you know, if if you had to write the ultimate guide to XYZ for that audience, what would be the chapters, subchapters, and topics you would include? As you talk to them and spend that time with them, write down like 100 burning questions your niche or your audience has. So you have a repository of ideas. And so that way, when you create events, you can invite the right influencer to speak about the right topic. And when you write content online, you can write about the topics that are relevant to them. And now you have this audience building and just don't stop when you build this audience. Start bringing them together, right? Like in person. I like in person. And it doesn't have to be one big multi-thousand person production every year like we do. Because one production a year takes like six to nine months of effort or maybe a year's worth of effort. And you're constantly promoting buy my stuff, buy my stuff, buy my stuff. But if you want to do something that gives you compound interest, do 10, 15, 20% meetups. Doesn't have to be fancy. Keep it authentic. Just offer some pizza, bring a great speaker, let people have conversations with one another, get somebody to sponsor like beer or like wine or something, or even none of that, just soda and water is fine. But do it consistently. Having 10, 15 people show up to a new message every week gives you a fresh dopamine hit, right? As an audience, every time I open your email, you're sharing something new that will be valuable to me versus every time I open your email, you're saying the same thing. Come to my conference, come to my conference, buy my stuff, buy my stuff, buy my stuff. And so I think doing new things or adding new value to me consistently is more important than doing one big conference. I'm saying do the big conference that can be your gala, but don't ignore the things that you can do consistently, which is like maybe a weekly or every other week, a podcast, maybe open up the podcast on Zoom to a live audience so they can interact with one another. Take those recordings, put it to audio on podcast, video on YouTube, slice it up, put the shorts on different channels, and then the text can be 
on channels like a Twitter or LinkedIn. Now here, you're doing a lot of distribution. Just keep in mind that your main effort should be on the biggest channel where your audience hangs out online. And then when you're building that online channel, make sure you incentivize them and drive them to give you email addresses so you can bring them together to interact with one another so it turns into a community. So I'll stop here because we went through like identifying your niche, the kind of community you build, how to create an online audience, and then how to turn that audience into a community. And I think if you do this sustainably, I kid you not, week in, week out, if you do this for 12 months, you'll build a solid community, right? Just pick one, one online channel you'll create for one niche, one kind of customer, one kind of value, one kind of channel, right? Create online and then bring that audience together frequently in person or maybe online to interact with each other if you can manage that. I just think anytime you incorporate more than two senses, you build stronger connections and more meaningful bonds versus just online to online um, and do that sustainably for six months at least, you know, give yourself a goal of six months and you'll see, you'll start, your database will grow, more people will show up, you'll build more meaningful connections, it'll turn into business pipeline. I think that's where people go wrong is that they start doing the work and they're not seeing that 10-person event be any bigger than that. But what they forget is that 10-person event has to be 11 people, 12 people, and sometimes that will be over the next couple of weeks and sometimes it will take a while. But then once you get those building blocks in place, generally that's when you start to see the explosion after the consistency. And it's one of those graphs, isn't it? It starts just dribbling along the bottom and then suddenly it takes off. And it's that, as you mentioned before, the overnight success that took quite a while and a lot of consistency and hard work to get there first. Yeah, and one tip I want to add a lot of people, they create stuff, but they don't promote it, okay? They'll be like, I'll push my content on LinkedIn and then cry when like, you know, five people like it or I'll host an event and 10 people show up. Here's the thing. You have to drive people to it. That is your job. So my book sold like almost 7,000 copies last week, okay? What do you think? I put it on Amazon and I put it on Barnes & Noble and it sold itself? Hell no. I sent it to hundreds and thousands of people. My newsletter has 120,000 subscribers. I promoted it several times to my newsletter. I begged some of my friends to add it to their newsletters who are influencers. And that's how it happened. Email. And I kid you not, Kathy, everything I have today is because I picked up the phone or picked up my email and cold emailed somebody. I even cold emailed you. And here I am. I reached out to 150 podcasters for my book launch to promote it. And, and basically, I don't talk about the book blatantly. I talk about adding value and giving advice on building business through community. But nonetheless, through end of October, I would have had featured on 85 or 90 podcasts. If I didn't reach out to people, you think people would just find me? No. people. You have to tell your story. And so when you host an event or you write a piece of content online, share it with people. How do you figure out who you share it with? You, you know your ideal customer profile. You know where they eat, breathe, drink, sleep, their titles, everything. Now, look through your phone to find out in your contacts who are those people, your WhatsApp, your Discord, whatever it is. Find those people, make a list, right? On your LinkedIn, find those people. In your email contact book, find those people. I guarantee you'll have at least 500 people to seed it with, right? Reach out to them initially. 
and then it'll start taking form. Every time you post on LinkedIn, find a circle of five, 10 friends and ask them to engage on it within the first 30 minutes or so. Let them like, comment if it's valuable. Writing something consistently that's done well is better doing like say once a week if you can do that versus trying to write like diluted, crappy, just euphemisms five days a week or you know 10, 10 times a week kind of thing. But because you'll you'll people will feel the need to engage with it. And the same thing when you host an event, just hope and pray, reach out to people, write very personalized uh, messages, short, keep the messages short, like, hey, Kathy, I'd like to invite you, personally invite you to this event. We're bringing X influencer to talk about Y topic that's relevant to your stage. We're going to have 20 other people who are exactly, you know, founders or CEOs of this stage of company. So it resonates with them. It's going to be free to attend and there's going to be some pizza. Can you make it? You're writing a personal invite. And send that out. Maybe if you send it out to 100 people, you'll have 20 people show up. But reach out. If you don't reach out to people and don't promote your stuff, no one will. Throwing a book on Amazon won't do that for you. And being on LinkedIn or Insta won't do that to you. Even the biggest influencers, they reach out to promote their stuff. And then eventually it takes form and they start to build an audience. But you need to seed it in the beginning. Otherwise, it won't take form. Yes, that's very true. And making sure that um, you are getting others to help once again, your community. Um, like you said, even the biggest influencers, they get their their affiliates to send it out. So making sure that um, you are using your community and getting in front of other people's audiences so that they can then enjoy it as well. So for our audio listeners, what is your book called? My book is called From Grassroots to Greatness, 13 Rules to Build Iconic Brands with Community-Led Growth, featuring stories from community-led companies, big and small, from Harley-Davidson to HubSpot and beyond, where we talk about how to put this in action with stories, right? And it's available on Amazon, or you can just go to fromgrassrootstogreatness.com. What I'll also have in the next week or two is a Notion workbook, which gives you a lot of templates and interviews from behind the scenes. There's going to be a page for all the podcasts I've been featured on. So you can go through the content I've shared on other people's podcasts. And there's going to be a page with my podcast where I interview CEOs of multi-billion dollar companies. So you'll have a wide range of content for free on the website. Fantastic. And is that the best way to find you, Lloyd? Or you can just find me on LinkedIn, double L-O-Y-E-D, Lobo. And uh, I share content like this once a week, twice a week on LinkedIn as well. Valuable around building a capital efficient community-led business. Fantastic. And we'll put all of those in the show notes. And at this stage of the podcast, it's time for me to ask you five questions. Are you game? Definitely. What is the best advice given to you by a mentor? You know, I, I think is, is what I said, consistency on small actions leads to big outcomes over time. I didn't understand the value of it, but um, now I do over time, right? Because we're always looking for instant gratification. I think instant gratification is important because when you see a small win, it you get this appreciation and appreciation is key to keep going, but you got to be consistent. Indeed. What is the biggest help that you've received since starting your business? 
oh man, the community has been great. The people I've surrounded myself with have come forward to help us host events, to speak at our events, to refer us business. It takes a community. Your community is truly your currency from getting our first customers to selling half the company and sort of semi-retiring at this young age. I think like the community has been everything for me. Congratulations. What is the one thing that you have to do every day? You're non-negotiable. Oh, I love it. Kathy, I love that you asked non-negotiable. So many of us, we start and run our life till the end with negotiables, with compromises. And I've realized finally, after I left the day day of my company and ended up depressed, is if I only start my life from non-negotiables, life would be happier. So my non-negotiable is I have a ritual in the morning. I wake up, I'm thankful for something good that happened the night before, maybe a person, a thing, food I ate, just the glass is half full, right? Appreciation for what you have will lead to abundance. The second thing is I work out. I bang out as many push-ups as I can to Eye of the Tiger and I got to hit the gym. My non-negotiable over everything is I have to work out every single day. And I find that exercise releases endorphins in your brains that calms the feeling of stress. If you do it first thing in the morning, you feel pumped. And you know, a little hack here is a lot of the times we're going through the day-to-day rut and we feel we're not moving forward, right? We feel like we're not achieving things. There's no appreciation. And a lot of people want instant gratification, but that's not available. You want the feeling of achieving something, even though things are not going well. And that will like sort of be a force multiplier for your day-to-day. Work out first thing in the morning. Every time you go to the gym, if you do a little more, more reps, increase the weight or improve your endurance, it feels like you're getting stronger. And that feeling makes you feel like you're achieving something. And that mental strength, like, oh, I achieved something, I conquered something, I got better, I got stronger, gives you a small win every day. And that helps you manifest things like I can make bigger wins in my day-to-day life. Fantastic. What is your favorite business book and why? My favorite business book is How to Win Friends and Influence People. I love it. Dale Carnegie, it's all about building human-to-human connections. I've read it like I, I I rarely read. I listen to more audiobooks, but I think that book I've read several times. Excellent. What do you wish you had known when you started out? Ooh, what did I wish I had known? And I don't wish to change anything, but I think I would have wished I knew that it's going to be a long slog, right? Life and business is a marathon, not a sprint. So take care of yourself personally like putting your own oxygen mask before anyone else's. If you don't take care of yourself personally, you're of no good to your family or the business. Self-care is not selfish. It's good stewardship towards the only way you can create value in the world. And I would have not been so all or nothing like business or personal life. Basically, I put my family on the back burner. I put my health on the back burner. And then when I left the day-to-day of the business after exiting it, I felt like I lost my identity, my tribe. I hit rock bottom. And I would recommend people don't do that. Block time to work out every single day. And I I know people don't want to work out first thing in the morning. They want to work out at night. Trust me on this. Work out first thing in the morning. Do this for six months and see how your life gets better. Prioritize family time. Prioritize joy. Do things that bring you joy. Because if you don't, and five, six years down the ride, 
for whatever reason, your business doesn't work out, you're just going to have regret of all these missed times with your family, with your friends, the things you gave up, and you're going to feel like I did it for nothing. And it's going to make you crazy. So prioritize self-care. That is through connections. That is through your family. That is through your personal health, the things that bring you joy. Fantastic. And the biggest asset in your business, of course, is you. So why don't we look after our biggest asset ourselves the way that we look after all the others? So this has been a great chat, Lloyd. Is there anything that we haven't mentioned that we should have? No, I think think it's good. I want to end with one quote. Yesterday's innovation always becomes tomorrow's commodity, right? We used to say dot-com company and then social and mobile and cloud. And we don't say that anymore. Now we're seeing AI company. We won't say it anymore. In fact, OpenAI, which is the largest AI company on the planet, was built on that power of community and people. But why go back to 20 years with the dot-com? Let's go back to 50 years, right? In the 80s, the technology, the innovation was electronics. Then the Japanese manufacturers came in and commoditized electronics and started building these bikes and Harley-Davidson almost went bankrupt. The leadership came and said, we're going to make the ethos of the company on community. We're going to center the company on community. They went out there and started creating writer clubs. Employees became writers. Writers became employees. They created rituals, bringing people together to congregate around the joys and camaraderie of writing. And this weekend warrior concept started. They came together now to create movements to donate to breast cancer, autism. They saved Harley-Davidson. And so Harley-Davidson went from the brink of bankruptcy to become an iconic brand where today, just by what people are wearing, the Harley fans are wearing, you can recognize if if they are a Harley fan or not, right? Because I'm I'm going to a lot of events right now. I dress, I wear basically knee-high boots and a leather jacket. And the first question I ask to get asked at the door is, where's your Harley-Davidson? That's the power of an iconic brand, and that's not possible without human-to-human connections going from audience to community, being the springboard to movement and cult. And so my appeal to you is yesterday's innovation will always become tomorrow's commodity. Yesterday's innovation always becomes tomorrow's commodity, but if you build a community, you will not become a commodity. Brands of yesterday were built on what they told the world about themselves, and brands of the future will be built on what the community says about them. Indeed. And what do they say? A brand is what somebody says when you're not in the room. So absolutely on community. So thank you very much, Lloyd. I have appreciated this um, chat and I'm sure the audience will too. SBT community. Thank you so much. SBT community, remember, enjoy your journey. Thanks, Lloyd. Thank you so much. Don't forget to subscribe to Small Business Talk podcast and head on over to smallbusinesstalk.com.au forward slash downloads for all the show notes and links to this episode. Remember, to be great, you must start. Pick one tip from today's episode, take action and implement it. Let's meet again next week at the same time and place. Until then, take action. And SBT community, enjoy your journey.